0: Great to see you all this Pentecost Sunday as Pastor John did a great introduction for us. My name is Zach Carrera. Uh, Welcome to anyone who is new or visiting. I am one of the pastors here, and it is an honor to be able to bring God's word uh, to you on this Pentecost Sunday morning. John actually already kind of mentioned this in the liturgy, but Dan preached on the text of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, a couple of times. A few weeks ago and so while we're on this sunday and we're in this series of acts and this is pentecost sunday we're going to take a little bit of a detour we're actually going to be reading from genesis chapter 11 verses 1 to 9 that's pages 8 in your pew bible and this is going to be the story of the tower of babel and this is not just a random detour but what i hope to see here uh, through our time in genesis 11 is that we will add a richness to our story of the church and our understanding of that. Uh, of course, leading to what I hope is more awe and wonder at God's plan of redemption and his story um, and being a part of his mission. So I'm going to actually invite Jaron Chung, one of our youth up here, to read uh, this passage for us. And if you are new or visiting and you maybe don't have a Bible at home, as you're turning to those uh, page 8 in the Pew Bible, feel free to take that home. We'd love for you to have that as a gift from us. You can keep reading, studying, learning about uh, who this God is, what his mighty works are, and why we gather together every Sunday To worship him. Uh, But go ahead, Jaron, feel free to read. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jaron. Let me pray. Dear God, thank you for your word that you do not leave us to guess who you are, what your mighty works are, but you have revealed yourself to us. You've shown yourself to us that we may be a part of your mission, that we may be restored in relationship to you. And I pray as we go to your word this morning that your Holy Spirit would convict us concerning sin, encourage us, embolden us, uh, strengthen us, and remind us of the love that you have for us, the confidence and assurance of your love for us that will never leave. And we pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Recognition is the first human quest. That is the opening lines to a book by Andy Crouch called The Life We're Looking For, which was actually a book that we read last summer as a church during our summer book study, and he goes on to explain that when a baby comes out of the womb and is placed on their mother's chest, it is coming out looking for recognition. It's looking for a face in which they will be seen, loved, secure, known, and he adds that they will be a part of something important. See, when we think about this title, what's the life that you are looking for? Andy Crouch makes the argument throughout the book that is that, to be seen and secure, to be a part of something big and important, to have meaning in your life. And I think if we think about that for a second, if we're honest with ourselves, how true that is, even for us today, right? Not just from the moment we're born, when we're, are we seeking recognition, security, importance, but how many choices in our daily life, whether it's elementary school, For you kids high school whether it's the jobs we choose the colleges we want to go to the gpa the friend groups that we want to be a part of the sports teams that we want to be associated with there are pieces of that those desires that come from a place of really wanting to be seen to be secure and to be part of something important and that is exactly what we're going to see here in this babel story this tower of babel story Where God is going to be honest with us, though, through his word, the outcomes of what that desire is. When our mission is apart from God, when man's mission apart from God, he's honest about what the outcomes of that is. But we're also going to see, then, God's mission through man. So as you look at the story of Babel, we're going to just take that in those two simple points, right? God's mission apart from God and what happens there, but then also God's mission through man, And so that leads me to my first point, man's mission apart from God. Now, let's take a step back for a second and understand this context that we have for the Tower of Babel story. If you are maybe not familiar with the Bible story, Genesis 1 through 11 is this sweeping big picture setup for the rest of the Bible. It's often called primeval history, meaning like pre-prehistory. It sets up the foundation for the Messiah to come to defeat Satan, to defeat death, to defeat sin that all entered in Genesis 3. So in Genesis 11, we're actually reading the very last chapter before the Bible just zooms in on Abraham and Abraham's descendants for the rest of the book. It's the climax to this big sweeping setup for the whole Bible. Now, when we get to that, Let's go ahead and start then by looking at verses 1 and 2. 1 and 2 are kind of a setup, right? We get the setting. If you notice it says that they're in the east, garden when uh, when God cast Adam and Eve out of the garden, they were going to the east, so mankind's still going to the east here. And it says that they land, or they settle in the valley of Shinar. Now, the reason that's important is because Shinar is actually in the center of what becomes Babylon. And if you are familiar with the Bible, if maybe you've read um, some Bible stories, or been in church, you know that Babylon just comes up for the rest of the Bible. In the Old Testament, they come and deport Israel. The imagery in Revelation 21, John uh, calls right the uh, city of man, like Babylon again. It reminds me of Star Wars, like the Galactic Empire. It doesn't matter what you do. When the new show pops up, there's like a remnant of, of the empire that comes back and is trying to grow and defeat either the rebellion or the republic. And so this Babylon, we see Babylon showing up here in Genesis 11, and Babylon continues to come up for the rest of scripture. But then what is this mission of man apart from God? Go to verse 4. Read verse 4 again with me. It says, they said to each other, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now, if you only read the first half of that sentence, build a city, build a tower to the heavens, that at its face doesn't necessarily sound that bad, right? Because I would say it shows ingenuity, creativity, there's a community, there's a purpose a shared purpose where people are working together to accomplish something. But then when we read the second half of that verse, that shows the motive and the real issue here with the story of Babel. Because how does the, sec- the second half of the verse go? It says so that we can build a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. And so these go together. We want a city so that we're not scattered over the face of the earth. And that basically means we don't want to be like conquered or taken over. We want to be secure in a city with fort, like a fortress walls, and we want to build a tower to the heavens so that why we can make a name for ourselves. I like the way that uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible describes these verses. I know there's kids in here, kids you probably have read this, whether in our children's worship. Parents, I think a lot of you read it, and I think Sally Lloyd joins Joe. Sally Lloyd Jones does a great job. Of summarizing the problem with this verse, verse four. This is how she describes it in the Jesus Storybook Bible. The people say, Yes, they said, we'll say, Look at us up here, and everyone will look up at us. And then we'll look down on them, and they will know that we are something. We'll be like God. We'll be famous and safe. And because of that, we'll be happy, and everything will be all right. And that is is the main issue, right? With man's mission apart from God in this Tower of Babel story, they want to be seen and secure because they want to be like God and in control. Their motives are off. And even if you actually think back to Genesis 3, these are the same things that begins with the snake. You will be like God, praised, worshipped, seen, and you won't surely die. You'll be safe and secure. And then it happens at the Tower of Babel. It happens all the way up through the scriptures, even to our own day. right? Again, if we think about our own stories here, our friend groups, our GPAs, our status, it's this to be seen and secure, to be part of something important. But then what happens in verse 5? All right, So all this verses 1 to 4 is kind of mankind. But verse 5 is the exact middle of the story. And how does it say? says, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. So notice there's, there is temporary success for mankind when they're on this mission apart from God. They actually did build a city. They built a tower. But do you see the irony of it? What mankind thought was this amazing achievement, something to be praised and worship, look at us. Look up at us and everything we've done. God has to come down to see what they did, right? From the perspective of God, when we're on a mission apart from him, what we're doing is actually small and insignificant. When it's for our own name and our own selves, what the people of Babylon were doing, or Babel, was insignificant. God had to actually come down to see what they were doing. And then so we get verses six through nine, where it describes how God changes their language and disperses them over the face of the earth. So again, the irony, right? What starts out as we want to make a name for ourselves and not be scattered, what they're trying to prevent by pursuing their own mission apart from God is the very thing that happens. They want to make a name for themselves, and they do, but not in a good way, right? It's a name of folly, like what you did failed, and that was actually a really bad, foolish thing, foolish idea to do. They want to be secure and and be in a city where nothing bad can happen to them. They don't want to be scattered over the face of the earth, but what happens? They end up getting scattered over the face of the earth see they are given the name Babel which in Hebrew you probably might see a note in your Bible that it says it means confusion man's mission apart from God will ultimately lead to only temporary success ultimate failure and confusion but isn't it interesting if you think back to verse five that God actually came down to them right He didn't just leave them to their own devices to see what would happen, but he actually comes down to them. And so that leads me to my second point, and that is God's mission through man. Now, God's mission is actually explicitly stated twice in the Bible before we get to the Tower of Babel. It happens in Genesis 1. It happens again in Genesis 9 after the flood when God talks to Noah. And God says the same thing to Adam and Eve and to Noah. And what's his mission? It says to be fruitful and multiply and fill the whole earth. Why? Well, because we bear God's image in our very selves. right? God's mission through mankind was that we would bear his image, and all that that encompasses, the creativity, the ingenuity, the community building, the love, the compassion, the care, the protection for all of creation, that that would go out and fill the earth but what we see at Babel is they didn't fill the earth. Instead of multiplying and filling the earth, they all hunkered down in one location in Babylon. And instead of bearing God's image to creation, they want to be God themselves in one specific spot. It's, I don't have time to get into all the specifics or you know showing the allusions and proof texts and whatnot. But commentators will say how from the very beginning in Genesis 1 and 2, God's mission was to build a city, a kingdom. And that's why when you think about we started in a garden in Genesis 1, at Revelation 21 at the end, what comes out of heaven? It's not a holy garden that comes out of heaven, right? It's a holy city. And so at Babel, mankind is going against God's design, against God's mission to build a name for themselves in one location. But God's mission was to use us to bear his image to all of creation. And he wraps us into that mission. One of my favorite movies, which some people laugh at me for this, but I like it, uh, is Penguins of Madagascar, if anyone's seen this from, from like 10 years ago. And uh, in that movie, you know, there's four penguins, and you have, I think Skipper is the main guy, but the, the guy at the bottom of the totem pole the penguins, for I don't know, kids, maybe you've seen penguins in Madagascar, is private, because he's, he's like, you know, the lowest rank. And they infiltrate Fort Knox for his birthday because they have cheesy dibbles. But like right before they get to the cheesy dibbles Cheetos, essentially, Skipper says to them, like, Private, if you could have anything in the world, what would you want? And he's like, oh, gee, Skipper. I think I just want to be an important and valuable member of this team. And he's like, well, we got you something different. <laughs> and so, but even in a movie like Penguins of Madagascar, right, you see that private just wants to be seen, secure, but a part of something great and important. And that's exactly what God does for us. He brings us into this mission of his. And so how does all of this then relate to Pentecost in Acts 2? Bear with me. I'm going to start in Genesis 11. I'm going to hop over to Genesis 12, and then I'm going to hop to Acts 2. All right, so don't worry. We're circling around to Acts now. So in Genesis 11, at Babel, we had the people of one language, one tongue. As we've said, they're declaring the mighty works of themselves. They want to make a name for themselves. Now, if you were to kind of like shift your head a little bit to the right and look at page 9 in Genesis 12, you don't necessarily have to read it, but those first one, two, three, four, five verses – what does God do? He calls out a nobody, Abram. Nobody knows who Abram is, right? He's not super important. He's not the king of Shinar, king of the Tower of Babel. God calls him out of Ur. Now, what's also fascinating, Ur is another name for a city in Babel, in Babylon. So God is calling a nobody out of the same place that was trying to usurp him, you know, like from the same people, God calls him and sends him out. He brings Abram into God's mission and sends him out. And then what does God tell Abram? He tells Abraham, I will make you a great nation, and I will make your name great. And I, through, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So in this last climactic story of Babel, we have people, one language, making a name for themselves. It becomes folly. The very next chapter, the opening words, God calls a nobody to become something important, to be a part of God's mission, and that God will make Abraham's name great. And it's through Abraham that we ultimately get all the way to the Gospels into Acts 2. Because, like we said, Genesis 12 is the zoom in on Abraham, all of his descendants. Well, descendants of Abraham is Jesus, the Messiah the Savior, to defeat sin and death. And at his ascension, as John said in the liturgy, he pours out his spirit on all people, on 3,000 people that become followers of Christ. And what do we see in Acts 2 then? What's the parallel here with Babel? Well, then in Acts 2, we have a multitude of languages again. But it's not confusion, and they're not building a name for themselves. In Acts 2, we have a multitude of, language, of languages that are declaring one name, and that is Christ's name. It's not their own mighty works, but they're declaring the mighty works of God. That's how, it's, that's what it, how it describes it in Acts 2, chapter 11. So rather than lifting up their own name, they declare the mighty works of God, and then we know that Peter calls on those people, Dan preached on this, he tells them, to call on the name of Christ and be saved. Don't lift up your own name. You can never build a tower large enough to get yourself to heaven. Whatever accomplishment, whatever friend group, whatever status, whatever bank account, whatever anything will never be enough to get you to heaven. But rather, we can call on God's name, the one who came down to us, and be saved In prepping for this, I went back to go listen to Dan's sermon because I was like, I want to make sure I say something congruent here. I don't want to say anything different or wrong, right? Um, But Dan had this quote in his Pentecost sermon that I think encapsulates what we've been saying here with the Tower of Babel. And this is uh, how Dan kind of ended his Pentecost sermon. He said, what has God called us to be? He says, God has called us to be a people who are partaking in the building of God's kingdom, that we are secure in his love that we don't need to prove ourselves, but that rather we can set aside ourselves. And one of my favorite verses of the Bible, in the sense that it's just shocking to me, Ephesians 3.10, where it says that it's through the church that the manifold witness of God would be name, made known to the ruler's authorities in the heavenly places. And so how does Pentecost in Babel relate to us today? Right, We go out of these doors from this gathering. We have another week before we gather again together. Uh, to worship as a family of God. And I think it's kind of two, twofold. On the one hand, I'm going to think about Bible. Or, of course, we're in the Bible. Babel and the the warning and the folly that can come from that, but also a comfort. And then I'm going to think about how Pentecost relates to us and applies to us today. So for the first thing, Babel. The truth is what the Bible shows us is that each one of us in here have a temptation, have been a part of building our own kingdoms. right? We want to be seen. We want to be praised. We want to be secure. We want to be a part of something important. It's the epitome of mankind since Genesis 3. That's why we build our own brands. That's why we create our own identities. That's why we pursue colleges, GPAs, friend groups. But Babel shows us that whatever that is, again, it's temporary. And honestly, if it's done on man's mission apart from God, it will be a failure and it's insignificant. So we all have this propensity to sin and we've all committed this sin. But in God's mercy, he still came down to us, died for us, and wants to restore that relationship for us. But the comfort of Babel is also because we're not only sinners, right? But we're sinned against. We live in a fallen world. So... Maybe when you're at school, and maybe you're in a friend group that isn't that kind. Maybe they have group messaging that you're not a part of. Maybe they bring that up to you in front of your face, and it's awkward because you realize you weren't a part of whatever this is. They're, they're just building their own kingdom. They're trying to be seen, secure, praised. When you're at work, and you see maybe malpractice, maybe you see immoral business, business ethics, They're trying to build their own kingdom. They're trying to build their own tower. And you can know that that's temporary. That is not permanent. It might feel like they're successful right now, but that's temporary. Maybe if you are on a sports team or you're in school and someone else always seems to be taking the credit or vying for attention, they're building their own kingdom. They're building their own tower. It's temporary. It's not going to last. God's going to come back. It's Pentecost. How is that our hope? Well, that is the empowerment, right? That we are becoming members of God's mission. I think about the theme that maybe you've seen it in our Friday uh, emails or heard in sermons from Dan or John or me, but this idea of embody and extend. Church, the Pentecost is this glorious truth, this reality that the Holy Spirit has been poured out on us that we can embody and extend the gospel right what are some of the scriptures that that tell us about tell us about the Holy Spirit well you heard some from John already it's through the Holy Spirit that we're convicted of sin it's through the Holy Spirit that we are exhorted and encouraged uh, to press on We know that it says the Spirit is our guarantee, our seal of an eternal inheritance, to be a part of an eternal kingdom that cannot be destroyed. Scripture says that through the Holy Spirit, we are not able to be separated from the love of God. It says that through the Holy Spirit, God creates a new man inside of us, a new woman inside of us, to love God, to love others, that we're freed from needing to be loved. So that we can love other people. It says that it's through the Holy Spirit that we are called sons and daughters of the family of God. That we can not just look at God and say he's Lord and know that he uh, is in charge. But it's through the Holy Spirit that I can see that same person, God, and say Father. Who loves me, comforts me, cares for me, promises to never leave me. And that too helps us take each new day, and empowers us to embody and extend this good news. So I want to end with an illustration from uh, my days at Covenant Seminary, which is crazy that I have to phrase it that way. Like, it's been long enough I go to say my days back at Covenant. But there was, we had to go to chapel, or we didn't have to go. I wanted to go to chapel. (laughs) I wanted to go to chapel. It was on, I went on Friday mornings normally. And there was this one speaker who shared a story that really stuck out to me. And the speaker was a Covenant graduate from a number of years ago who was telling a story about his friend. And for the sake of this, I'm gonna call that friend, Tim. So Tim was a writer, a director, an actor. He loved all things filmography, right? He poured his heart and soul into that industry. And one of the things he did was he decided to write his own script. He's like, I'm gonna write a, a movie I'm going to direct it. I'm going to shoot it. I'm going to cast people for it. I'm going to film it. It's going to be awesome. So months of time doing all that, money, sleepless nights. He films the movie. He edits the movie. He has a final copy of that movie. And, of course, you can guess, it's a flop. And the speaker at Covenant was sharing how he think, he was joking. He's like, I think the only person that saw Tim's movie was his mom. Like, that's just how bad it was. And what Tim thought was this awesome achievement. He's like, I'm going to be somebody. I'm going to direct it. I'm going to star in it. I'm going to edit it. It ends up being nothing, right? He tries to be somebody, and it ends up being a nobody. Well, a couple of years go by. Tim's still in the film industry. He likes the film industry. And there is a casting call for a role in a movie. And it actually ends up, you know, it's just like an extra, basically in this movie. So it's quite insignificant. And proof of that is that the name of Tim's role was soldier number six. It's so insignificant. There's not a name. It's just soldier number six. You're not even soldier number one, right? You're like the last soldier on the list. You're soldier number six. And he takes the role, you know, gratefully. He likes being in the industry. But he ends up getting to have the most amazing experience. And the reason is is because he was soldier number six in the movie Saving Private Ryan. A movie that had two Golden Globes, five Academy Awards. You get to work alongside director Steven Spielberg. You get to see Tom Hanks and Matt Damon. And in the credits, if you're willing to wait and go to it, next to soldier number six, you see Tim's name, right? He actually gets his name in the credits of the movie. And so he accepted Being a nobody and became a somebody, getting to be a part of the greatest, one of the greatest movies of all time. And so, church, don't try to build your own towers, your own kingdoms for yourself to be seen and secure, to be a part of something important. But know that the face of your heavenly father is turned towards you, that you are engrafted in a part of his family. His love, remember the way, if you guys are familiar with this, how to describe the Father's love in here, it says it's a never stopping, never giving up, always and forever type of love. So you are eternally secure, and as members of his family, you are a part of this eternal mission, something grander and greater than anything we could ever try to accomplish on our own. Even, you might even just be soldier number six in this story, but that's okay. All right, let's pray. Dear God, it's amazing, Lord, that in this grand plan of redemption that we read about through your word, uh, that you actually engraft us to play a role and to be a part of that, to embody this good news through the power of your Holy Spirit, to extend this good news by the power of your Holy Spirit to those, to wherever you've sent us, to those you've placed around us. And God, Convict us, encourage us, empower us to do that this morning as we go out worshiping you and you send us out. We pray this all in your son, Jesus name. Amen.